You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 3. Pentecost has happened early in the Christian story is where we are now. It says, One afternoon, Peter and John went to the temple for three o'clock prayer. As they came to the entrance called the Beautiful Gate, they were captured by the sight of a man crippled from birth, being carried and placed at the entrance to the temple. He was often brought there to beg for money from those going into worship. When he noticed Peter and John going into the temple, he begged them for money. Peter and John, looking straight into the eyes of the crippled man, said, Look at us. Expecting a gift, he readily gave them his attention. And then Peter said, I don't have money, but I'll give you this. By the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Peter held out his hand to the crippled man. As he pulled the man to his feet, suddenly power surged into the crippled feet and ankles. The man jumped up, stood there for a moment, stunned, and then began to walk around. He went into the temple courts with Peter and John. He leaped for joy and shouted praises to God. When all the people saw him jumping up and down and heard him glorifying God, they realized it was the crippled beggar they had passed by in front of the beautiful gate. Astonishment swept over the crowd, for they were amazed at what they had at what had happened to him. Dumbfounded over what they were witnessing, the crowd ran over to Peter and John, who were standing under the covered walkway called Solomon's Porch. Standing there also was the healed beggar clinging to Peter and John. With the crowd surrounding him, Peter said to them all, People of Israel, listen to me. Why are you so amazed by this healing? Why do you stare at us? We didn't make this crippled man walk by our own power and authority. The God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has done this. For he has glorified his servant Jesus, the one you denied to Pilate's face when he decided to release him, and you insisted that he be crucified. You rejected the one who was holy and righteous and instead begged for a murderer to be released. You killed the prince of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we stand here as witnesses to that fact. Faith in Jesus' name has healed this man standing before you. It is a faith that comes through believing in Jesus' name that has made the crippled man walk right in front of your eyes. Verse 17. My fellow Jews, I realize that neither you nor your leaders realize the great mistake you made, but in spite of what you've done, God has fulfilled what he foretold through the prophets long ago about the sufferings of his anointed one. Verse 19 and 20. Now mark these. And now you must repent and turn back to God so that your sins will be removed and so that times of refreshing will stream from the Lord's presence and he will send you Jesus the Messiah, the chosen one for you. So the story tells us that when Peter and John are headed to the prayer gathering at their place of worship, they see this paralyzed man begging for money just outside of the gate. Now, I think it's important to see that Peter and John didn't do the least that they could do. Like, they didn't give him money or food, because in their case, they could give him much more. They could give him his life back. They probably knew it was going to cause trouble for them, but I guess they figured it would be good trouble. So they did the most they could do, because after being with Jesus, they knew that the most they could do is the least they should do. See, they didn't take their discipleship half-heartedly. They didn't give God or others their leftovers. 
They knew that disciples of Jesus do not live off leftovers. God is generous, and everything Jesus said and did is proof. Disciples share in God's life, where their plates can always be filled with God's provision. It's why Peter said in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, I think, that, that times of refreshing that stream from the Lord's presence will come. Peter and John chose to dedicate their lives to experiencing the presence of Jesus, and they did. They weren't mistake-free. They weren't error-free. They weren't sin-free. They weren't perfect. They were just as human as me and you. I know we don't oftentimes read them that way, but they were. And I think the rest of scriptures bear that out as we find that Peter struggles with his own sort of uh, ethnic superiority later on when he chooses to sit with Jews rather than Gentiles and goes about bringing division in the church in Galatians 2 and 3. And Paul has to rebuke him publicly in front of the whole church. Peter wasn't perfect, but Jesus' presence was Peter and John's power. Since Jesus promised he would never leave them, they believed their mistakes and sins were redeemable. Since Jesus' presence was their power, they believed that they could trust in God's generosity, even his provision of resources or the working of miracles. Since Jesus' presence was their power, they believed that even when they stood trial for the gospel, and they do later on in chapter 4, and they need boldness, they would have it. Christ was their confidence, and since Christ would never leave them, he was their comfort. See, I think they were able to do the most they could do and refuse to give leftovers because they believed that Jesus' presence was their power and renewal is always possible. Remember verse 19. Peter says, and now you must repent and turn back to God so that your sins will be removed and so that times of refreshing or renewal will stream from the Lord's presence. Renewal is found in the presence of Christ because his presence is power. The presence of Christ in us, among us, is the presence of God who is the source of all that is holy and good. The presence of Christ is the presence of God who, as John would later write in one of his letters, is love. The love of God that would cause him to enter into our world in the likeness of those he created to do for us what we're incapable of doing for ourselves is a divine act of otherworldly love with the power to liberate us from falling for all other forms of love. It's also the power to liberate us from exhaustion and tiredness and weariness because it is the power to deliberate us from our disordered understandings of love, most often revealed by our commitments to self-determination or misguided allegiances or misplaced hopes. See, Peter and John knew this. It's why they lifted up this miracle of healing a paralyzed man to show. It is why they preached Jesus, knowing it would get them arrested, and it did. It is as if they are saying to their hearers, attending this prayer gathering, you are looking for renewal in all the wrong places. See, the truth is we get tired. We get worn out. We get to a place where all we have left is all we have to give, and we aren't really sure we can spare it. So we turn to TV go for a walk, 
I scrub the internet for a vacation, or we go fishing. And all these things can be good. I'm for all of them, all the things. They can give us rest, but I'm not sure they can give us renewal, at least not the kind of renewal we're longing for deep within our bones. Sometimes rest isn't renewal. Rest is good, but sometimes it doesn't renew us. Like when we get sick, we need rest, but we, we may also need to tend to our bodies in specific ways. We, we drink fluids, we try to eat well, take whatever medications we need. Rest is necessary, but it's only a part of what's necessary. If we want renewal, we have to tend to our whole selves. We have to do something else. Same is true for our discipleship journey, you know, our walk with Christ. Renewal is found by tending to the presence of Christ. Tending to the presence of Christ purposefully. We have to do it on purpose. Like we don't do it as we can, when we can. We do it just as purposefully as we put on our clothes before we leave the house. It is as purposeful as putting our keys in the ignition to start our car. To do so, we must have our keys, right? Like tending to the presence of Christ is purposeful, not on the fly or haphazard or about convenience. Tending to the presence of Christ is purposefully slowing down and choosing to be silent, believing God is with me. It's, it's purposefully developing rhythms to my prayer life where I not only sit and talk with God, but I sit and listen. It's, it's purposefully, regularly sitting before the scriptures to remind myself of the world God is remaking and how he's invited me to learn how to recognize his work in the world so that I can join him there. It's sometimes purposefully turning off all the noise and replacing it with songs of praise or lament. Tending to the presence of Christ may be about finding a brother and sister in Christ that I enjoy and just being with them. Because where I am, their Christ is also. Where they are, their Christ is also. I must learn to give him my attention and tend to his presence. If I do, I open myself up to renewal. And by the way, much of this can be done while I walk or fish or <laughs> go on vacation. That isn't all there is to tending to the presence of Christ, though. There's more than just Bible study or prayer and silence. I tend to the presence of Christ when I choose to give whatever I have to God in service. It's taking time to write a note or a card to someone that could use one. It's, it's giving my money to those who need it. It's, it's taking food to the sick or hurting. These things can bring about renewal because Christ is most certainly present in them. The facts are sometimes we're just too tired for that. I know that sometimes I am. And when I feel this way, when I feel too tired even to serve, I take these feelings as a sign to purposefully re-examine where I'm keeping my attention or ask myself what has it. Sometimes busyness and lots of activity takes more of my attention than I realize. So I ask myself the hard question, have I turned away from tending to the presence of Christ? Much like the parent who turns their attention away from their child towards something else while their child sits with them, we turn away from Christ who sits with us. See, I'm finding that a dark cloud sometimes looms behind the tiredness and exhaustion and my lack of tending to the presence of Christ. Sometimes it comes 
down to those disordered understandings of love that can be seen and found by my commitment to self-determination and self-sufficiency, to misguided allegiances and misplaced hopes and how they take me captive. And by disordered, I mean out of order. I have just simply placed my view of self or my loyalties or my hopes out of order. I'm tending to the presence of my anxiety as I feed it with social media or newscasts. I'm tending to the presence of my need to compare and contrast by forming my opinions based on what others are doing. I'm, I'm tending to the presence of my consumerism by spending my money or saving it and hoarding it rather than giving some away to those who may need it more. I'm tending to the presence of my ideology by only reading books or blogs that affirm what I believe rather than challenging myself to listen or think. Now, these things may be a bit obvious, so then I have to ask, what if I purposefully shifted my time from social media or newscasts to scripture? What if I purposefully shifted from comparing and contrasting my way of life with others to discerning my way of life with God in prayer, scripture, and in conversation with his people? What if I purposefully shifted from spending and getting and saving to giving freely of my resources and trusting God with the consequences? What if I purposefully shifted from reading books that I only that only affirm what I believe to reading books by authors who share maybe my larger worldview, maybe they're Christian authors, but who do not believe what I believe? Or what if I decided that I would sit with someone I suspect I disagree with to learn from them rather than try to change them? See, disordered understandings of love can be this obvious, yet deceptive. But then there are also disordered understandings of love that can be less obvious and even religious. For example, I can serve by writing cards or giving money or taking food and, and then at the same time neglect the presence of Christ with me before, during, or after. My attention turns away from doing it with Christ and turns toward doing it for Christ. And though that sounds like the same thing, it isn't. The with and the for make a difference. Just like there is a difference between me cleaning the house for Allison rather than with Allison. <laughs> Who am I kidding? I don't do either very well. But what I'm trying to say is that the for and the with make the difference. So when I do it with, I'm aware that Christ is with me, before me, behind me, beside me. When I'm doing it for Christ, I can have in this, in my mind, this image that he's just standing there waiting me to do it. And I'm not sure that is what Christ wants. He wants us to do life with him as he longs to be in ours. See, I think this is why Peter said that we open ourselves up to times of refreshing that stream from the presence of the Lord and that we open ourselves up to this through repentance. Now, repentance has a lot of baggage as a word, but repentance is best understood as nothing less or more than turning to God. Because it's obvious, right? To turn to God means you have to turn away from something. So it's turning my attention to God, who in Christ is with me by His Spirit. See, attention isn't about focus. 
Again, when we hear the word attention, and as you've heard it so far in this message, you may be thinking, you know, with your eyes. But, but attention isn't about just looking at nothing else but Christ, whatever that could mean. I mean, it isn't about walking around with our nose in the scriptures or constantly opening our lips in prayer. Attention, that I don't know the way I'm talking about it, is, is a purposeful sense of awareness and recognition that he is with me. That's why I'm calling it tending to the presence of Christ. It's a steady belief that where I am, Christ is also. I mean, like, like think about it. Like, what if attention or tending to the presence of Christ meant that we couldn't look anywhere else? Like, what if we got that in our head? What if our upbringing in faith is so legalistic that that's what we think? I mean, I imagine when the disciples were in Jesus' presence, they didn't walk everywhere staring at him the whole time. I mean, can you imagine? Someone in the village is like, Peter, look! And Peter is like, I can't look. I can only look at Jesus because I'm tending to his presence. I mean, that would have been weird. Peter's like, Jesus. I'm not talking about a form of attention that speaks only to where our eyes are, literally set. I'm talking about where our heart and minds are set. Like a parent walking along the lake, taking in the beauty of what they see while remaining attentive to the presence of their child with them, behind, in front, or beside them, so too we walk along life with Christ. Repentance is more than an act, although it can be. Repentance is more like an ethic, a way of life, because turning to God is a way of life. When I walk and marvel at creation as God's creation, I turn to God. When I pray, I turn to God. When I sit before Scripture, I turn to God. When I praise or lament, I turn to God. When I serve my neighbor because of love for God and neighbor, I turn to God. And I can only turn to God because God is there. He is with us and invites us to be with Him. When I am tired, weary, or exhausted, or lack confidence or strength, I tend to his presence. I, I rest a while and I find what Peter and John found, that his presence is my power. The promised presence of Christ in us and among us is the presence of God who is the source of all that is holy and good, of all rest, joy, and peace. Beloved, do not neglect him. But even if you do, he refuses to neglect you. So repent. Turn back to God and begin again. No matter how weary or tired, how uncertain or uneasy, how sinful or broken we may feel, the presence of Christ makes renewal possible. Tend to his presence, beloved. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.